You're listening to the Epic Living Podcast with Jim Simcoe. I'm Jim Simcoe, and I'm here to help you make your life epic. So let's get rolling. Hi, this is Jim Simcoe. Welcome to episode number six of the Epic Living Podcast. So today we are going to talk about business, starting a business. So one of the big parts of having an epic life is being able to manage and control and really drive and own your own career. And one of the easiest ways I think to do that is to own your own business. Uh, today I'm recording in a different spot. Today I'm recording in my kitchen with my two dogs laying on the floor right next to me. My wife and daughters, <clears throat> excuse me, went out on a trip. They went to a little mountain town called Idlewild, which is just north of here, about an hour, about two hours north of here. So it's just me and the dogs for the next couple of days. So hopefully uh, I can keep them amused. They can keep me amused. Uh, anyway, let's get going. So this is what I like to call affectionately the do good, make money plan. So how to build and launch a mission driven business. So what do we mean? What do I mean by a mission driven business? So a mission driven business is one where you're doing something not just to make profit, but also to make a difference in the world. And this goes back to what we always talk about when we talk about legacy. So, and really mission really matters now. Customers really want to know what you do and what else you do. What do you stand for? Companies like Tom Shoes, who give away a pair of shoes for every shoe, a pair of shoe that they sell. Um, people and customers want to know that your values are in alignment with theirs. That spawns a whole other level of trust, likability, and acceptance with them, and really can help you separate uh, from uh, from the crowd, from anybody else. So, um, you know, and when you look at your mission. Your mission-based business, if you're going to start a mission-based business, really allows you to stay ahead of the pack because most competition is not doing this. You also get to feel good about what you do and who you are. That's why we call this the do good, the do good, make money plan. Um, That's been my mantra for a very long time. Do good, make money. You know, you do one thing, you do the other thing too. Um, The other nice thing about this is by allowing you to feel good about who you are, who you are and what you do. It also gives you a story for your customers, for your investors, your community, your family, and your kids and your friends. So your impact really is everywhere. So let's define what we mean by a mission-based business. So a mission-based business at the end of the day is an organization that seeks to both make a profit and create a positive impact in our world. So you can obviously know or read more about that on Wikipedia, but that's the definition that you know I tend to use when I'm thinking about a mission-based business. And I want to I want to say one thing here too before we get uh, too too much further, uh, <clears throat> and that is is that you know I started my business, our green real estate investing company. I started that with a pad of yellow paper, a computer, and a week long uh, uh, sit down at a coffee shop drinking double espressos every day. So you do not need a lot of tools to start a business. Um, when I started it, it was just me. I really didn't have anybody helping me. I didn't have a big staff. It was, you know, it was just me. So it was, so whether you're starting a lifestyle business, a real estate investment company or whatever, um, I would tell you that like, look, it doesn't, don't be daunted by the fact that you might think that like, wow, I need to do all this stuff to, you know, to really establish a business. You really don't, you really need, you don't need that many tools. Obviously you need a computer. Um, I highly recommend a bad paper and the double espressos are, more than worth their weight in gold. At least they were for me. So keeping that in mind, when we think about a mission-based business or value-based business, sometimes you'll also hear them called social ventures. 
one of the first things that you have to do is you have to understand what your why is. So why are you in this business? <clears throat> why do this? Why do it now? Why are you specifically called to do this work? So you need to answer those questions. And those are not, you know, those are not always easy questions, but you need to answer those questions and figure out, figure out the intersection between what you do really well, who your target market is, and what problems you can solve for that. And those are the three things. So like, what do I do really well? Who's my target market? And what problems can I solve for them? And also by answering those three questions, it will really help you develop your business plan. And really having a business plan is the very first step you need to make, the very first step you need to take in um, deciding to launch or build a business. And, and, and really, don't be scared about business plan writing. Business plan writing can be really fun and really easy if you just keep certain things in mind. I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to have for your business plan. So first of all, a basic bare bones plan is better than no plan at all. And the concept we want to go through in a business plan is the concept of success versus perfection. So we want a successful plan. We do not need a, a, a perfect plan. So here's how you write a plan. Okay. You want to include these areas. You want to include the executive summary, financials, team bio, marketing plan, and your target customers. You're going to answer the question, who is our customer? What problems did we solve? And how do we make money? Everything else you can skip for now. And I will put in the show notes, I will put a slide, uh, uh, a slideshow with all this information so you have it. But the biggest thing that people are going to read in your business plan is your executive summary. It's the most important part of your plan. It probably should be two pages max. It really needs to talk about how do we make money? Who are our customers and what problems do we solve? And if you want to see an example of an executive summary, please email me at jim at epicallday.com and I'll send you our actual executive summary so you can see it. And then the final thing you want to talk about in your executive summary is how big is the market? And how do we scale it? So <clears throat> while you might think you might have to write a 50 to 100 page business plan, I can tell you that I raised over $350,000 in my very first business plan. And it was exactly 18 pages long. And that was with graphs. And it took me a week to write it. Um, later on, our plan developed a little bit more. I, I think it went to like 38 pages and I raised $15 million from that plan. So you do not need a super extensive plan. But what I did do on all of our, uh, in our business plan was I answered who the customer was. I answered what problems we solve. And I also answered how do we make money? And I talked about the scale and how many customers were there really out there and how do we go after those customers? So the very first thing when you're thinking about doing a business or building and launching businesses, you really need to lock down what your vision and your mission are. So your vision at the end of the day is really your view of the perfect state. So what is the perfect state um, in the marketplace when you're done with your business? So this is, think of this as a big achievement in any aspect of your life. So what is the dream that inspires you? And really you should spend some time on this because it's a lot of fun and, and really answer, you know, a variety of questions that really shape this vision for you. So like, what does it feel like? What does it look like? Who's there? How much money are you making? How much money do you have? How do you live? Where do you live? What kind of house do you live in? Who are your customers? Why are their lives better because of you? What do they tell you? You know, how, how are they going about their daily lives in a different way because of you? What impact, what positive impact are you creating in the world? What's your legacy? What are you giving back? Who are you helping? Who are you serving as an example to? Like who's looking up to you? Who's admiring you? Who's writing about you? Those are all things 
that you need to think about before you venture into the idea of starting a business. You really need to think about like all of those things um, to really solidify your vision and get clear on what you want to do. Now, the next thing you want to do once you've established your vision is really come up with what your mission is. So if your vision is what your perfect state looks like, then your mission is really how you're going to achieve it. So if, uh, as an example, Nike, if their vision is everyone is an athlete, Nike's mission uh, is to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. Um, I actually took that right off of their website. So their vision is everyone's an athlete and their mission is to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. So their mission is what their action is and what they are doing. Uh, to help you clarify your mission, one of the things you can do is you can write a company manifesto. And a company manifesto is very similar to a personal manifesto, which we'll talk about in a future episode. But a company manifesto basically says, here's what we're doing. Here's what our vision is. Here's what our mission is. Here's what we agree to do. Here's how we're going to work. Here's how we're going to hire people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's really like a very long value statement. And it's really talking about your calling and really what are you trying to create. So when you're creating a manifesto, you're writing a manifesto to clarify your vision. And you include who you serve, how you work, and any commitments that you will embrace. So as an example, our green building company, for we take 5% of net profits, of all of our net profits, and give them to a local nonprofit. Um, and, and we also say that a minimum of 50% of our vendors must be women uh, or from the LGBT community. So that's something we believe strongly. It's something I believe very strongly about. Our manifesto also says that we choose to inspire our customers, our team, and our community. We're a fast company, not afraid to set the bar high and go where others are afraid to go, and that everyone has ownership in the company. Continuing our manifesto, we say that we don't chase money, we chase our passions. Everyone has a voice, no, but nobody is a mind reader. We believe in inspired philanthropy, so we only, can, we only contribute growing assets to time or time to nonprofits we support. So we don't give apples, we give apple trees. We contribute a portion of all revenue to an inspired philanthropy project. Two final things in our, in our manifesto. Um, we say that weirdness is encouraged, whining is not. And then we also have a law of the jungle mentality. So if you've ever read that poem um, or, or that book, there's a poem or there's a uh, passage in there that, that I've had on my wall for years and years and years. And I'll read it right now. Now, now is a law of the jungle. And as old and true as the sky, and the wolf that should keep it may prosper, but the wolf that should break it must die. As the creeper that girdles the tree trunk, the law runneth forward and back. But the strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. Rudyard Kipling. I love this thing, man. I think it's freaking fantastic. And it just tells, it tells me everything you need to know about a great organization. This is how you should run it. Nobody is stronger unless we're all stronger. So... That's everything around vision and mission and, you know, how do you get going? How do you write it? Um, the next thing we're going to talk about uh, is raising money. So raising money, unless you're going to self-fund your company, raising money is, is always going to be a big part of what you do. And I've worked raising money for a very, very, very long time. You know, I started doing that in 2000. Um, I've, so I've done it in the growing economy. I've done it in the shrinking economy. I've done it in a recession and I've also done it in a comeback. I've done it for, uh, privately close held startups focused on a variety of different industries. Largely it's been in real estate. Um, 
But I can tell you that regardless of the marketplace, regardless of the business, regardless of, of anything else, there are three main keys to raising money. Those keys are the right list, number one, the right pitch, number two, and controlling the actions, number three. We'll talk about each one of these. So first, when we talk about the right list. So the first thing is, is that uh, the mistakes I see people make in the right list is, is when, you know, when you're trying to figure out who to contact about raising money or who, you know, who could possibly help you raise money. The first thing people do, I see people do is they contact people who don't share their values. Okay. Um, second mistake I see them make is they contact people who just don't have the ability to invest. Um, so we'll come back to those, but if you really think about that, you know, that will sub, you know, short circuit any efforts that you make in the very beginning, because if you, if you're talking to people who don't share your values then they're not going to invest. And if you're talking to people who can't invest, then obviously they can invest. So the right list really comes down to people you're, you know, already. So people in your network, um, it also comes down to people you draw to you via events, social media, et cetera, et cetera. It comes down to friends of friends, contacts of contacts, and it starts with the right investor profile. So, and again, the investor profile, very similar to the mistakes I see people make between, you know, going after people who don't share your values or going after people who can't invest. The right investor profile, you need to answer these three questions. Who's most likely to align with my mission? Number two, who's most likely to align with my values? And three, who's got money to invest? So if you think of the investor profile, right? Um, here's a perfect example. Do PETA members, you know, people for the ethical treatment of animals, invest in hunting rifles? Well, no. Probably because the value of, uh, you know, their value system is not going to put money into something that propagates something that they don't believe in. So you cannot underestimate the value of having value alignment with a potential investor. Invest, investors and people invest with their hearts and their brains, and they do it in that order. People decide emotionally, and then they justify with logic. So you must connect with them emotionally. Um, and I know I'm going, just as, as a side note here, I know I'm going very fast. This is actually a podcast that's based on a uh, about an eight hour uh, program I put together called the Epic Business Builder that um, we will be selling soon uh, online. It's an eight, you know, it's an eight section training course on how to build an epic business. But I wanted to put it on the podcast because I thought it was really important. And this is a, a question that I get asked frequently. So, um, you know, if you want more information, obviously contact me about that. I'm not going to pitch it here, but uh, that's one of the reasons I'm going uh, as fast as I'm going. So when we talk to, we talk about going back to the program now, going, talking about investor profile, there are certain steps to finding your dream investor, okay? You want to create a specific profile of your exact best investor, including age, marital status, income level, marital status, marital status, income level, where they work, what they do, education, what are they like, what, they, you know, what are their politi political beliefs, where do they live, blah, blah, blah. What do they read online? What clubs they belong to? Where do they hang out? What books do they read? You know, what movies they like? What sites do they visit most often? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'll give you an example. So I did this about two years ago, and I even named my avatar, my perfect investor profile avatar. I called her Coral. And I said, you know, Coral was 
a 50 plus, you know, 50 years or older divorced woman living in a coastal community in San Diego, very liberal, probably has green, grown children, loves sustainability, loves green, you know, is either an entrepreneur or works in an entrepreneurial environment, has a net worth of about a million bucks and makes about a hundred to $200,000 annually. Now, fast forward a year, or excuse me, fast forward six months from that. One of our top investors, I won't say her name because I don't want to embarrass her, uh, but her name is Kathy. Just kidding. Uh, no, her name actually is Kathy. She's not, she's not one of our top investors. She's grown to be an incredible friend. I love her. I love her daughter. Um, they're just wonderful, awesome people. And they are, um, uh, so when you look at Kathy, she is over 50, divorced, lives in coastal Encinitas, liberal, has grown children, loves sustainability, loves green, is entrepreneurial, you know, works in an entrepreneurial environment. Like she literally hit 95% of our profile. So what I'm saying to you is as you nail down who your investor is and what that profile is, you'll find that you'll start drawing those people to you because you know exactly what you're looking for. So that is the key is to start with your investor profile first. Okay, so let's talk now about how do you pitch your perfect investor. So this is the part that most people hate. Most entrepreneurs, young, old, new, experienced, whatever. Most people hate asking investors for money. Most people hate the concept of selling. Um, I'm a little different uh, because I've been in sales my whole life. And while I don't, uh, I don't love it, I do believe, truly believe that if you're providing a value to somebody, then it's less about uh, it being a sales call and more about you pitching them on a problem you're solving for them. So what I like to call this is the perfect pitch. So how do you do the perfect pitch? And the perfect pitch really comes down to five key areas. There's the intro, the frame, the ask, the turn, and the close. And keep in mind, this will all, again, be in the show notes. I'll have a whole thing for you in the show notes so you can see it. Um, and really, the goal of the perfect pitch, you know, regardless of the investor that you're meeting with, is there's really only one goal that you have. And the goal is to get to a yes or to a no as fast as possible. I'll give you two examples. So one of the biggest mistakes I ever made was I pitched an investor who really didn't share our values and really didn't you know, care about green and wasn't like that kind of guy um, uh, who, you know, who would care about investing in green real estate. I must have pitched this guy, met him twice for coffee, followed up, followed up with him a bunch over email, probably six months down the road. And, you know, finally, you know, he ended up saying no. And I should have known right away, you know, my mistake, that this guy was never going to invest with us, but I kept chasing him. So I spent a lot of time, I spent six months getting to a no with that guy and crossing him off my list. One of my big, biggest successes happened with my friend named Dan, who uh, is an investor of ours. And when he came on board, I met him for lunch. I'd known him socially for a couple of years, met him for sushi, pitched him on the idea. And he said, sure, sounds fantastic. Gave me a check uh, two days later. And literally it was a one call, one closed lunch. Uh, and he got to a yes right away. So that is the goal of your pitches. You want to get to a yes or no as absolutely fast as you can. So during the intro section of the pitch, you want to talk about you. You want to talk about them. You want to you know, kind of give some insight into your background, your major accomplishments, and really describe how you got to your great idea, how you got to uh, the place that you're at now. 
and really explain why it's timely that you're meeting them right now. So it might be like, Hey, you know, I've been, you know, in the, uh, I've been a yoga teacher for 15 years and, you know, I finally decided to start selling yoga blocks, uh, because I have a lot of people who couldn't do yoga and they like blocks and my blocks are better than anyone else's. I don't know, something like that. But you really need to tell the story of how you got to your great idea and why, why it's great to be meeting right now. Once you've gone through the pleasantries and the intro, uh, you start getting into the frame. So what the frame is, is how are you positioning the problem that you solve in the current marketplace and why does the marketplace need you? And you always want to think about the fact that needs are always going to trump and always be more important than wants. Okay. Needs versus wants. We never want to talk about wants. We always want to talk about needs. So I may want a Bentley, but I need a roof over my head. I might want an ice cream sandwich, but I need food to survive. So get that clear in that there's a huge difference between needs and wants. And as you're talking about the positioning, uh, the sol- what you're solving in the marketplace and why the market needs you, you know, you're going to explain why the world needs you, explain the current trends and the unmet needs of your target market. So you want to talk about who your target market is, you know, what do they need, and then what are your competitors completely missing out on. Um, and that's really how the frame works. It's really selling your perception and your view of what's going on in the marketplace and what's going on with your target customers and explaining that, hey, man, there's a problem here that nobody knows about, and we have the solution. So once you've done the intro, you've done the frame, then you get into what's called the ask. And this is literally what you want. So you want to be really specific with what you want, uh, whether it's amount, a certain amount of time, whatever, and you want to explain how your ask aligns with their values. So the ask has to be extremely simple, very clear, and leave no room for interpretation. So here's an example. Here's a horrible example. So you get to the intro, you get to the frame, and then you know during the ask, you say, well, you can invest whatever you want, okay? We just want to get it next week, but it's really up to you. Just let me know. That's a horrible example of how to ask anybody for money, right? A much better example would be is the minimum investment for this deal is $50,000, which you can wire or deliver via check next week. Um, we do the paperwork on Thursday. Uh, we can have the money in the account by Friday. And this deal should really help you out in your desire to move the green building, uh, green building movement further. So that is a good example of, a, of, an, of an ask because I'm tying in what their value system is and I'm being extremely specific on what the actual ask is. Okay, so once you've gone through the ask, now you come up to the, the turn. So this is when you know, you've set the stage, you've talked about the marketplace, you've talked about yourself, you've talked about the problems that you're solving, you've actually asked them for the money and how you need it. Um, now, this is the time when you do the turn. So what the turn is, is really the risk mitigation of your pitch. So this is where you explain all of the risks before they bring in the other. Any and every risk possible, even the ludicrous ones, right? So go quickly through this, this portion, but don't rush. And what this does in the eyes of your investors, it builds confidence and trust in you. And, and because here's the thing, if you're bringing up the risk before they even ask them, then they're going to they're gonna think of you as being an honest person and being someone who's like forthright and is as willing to admit that, you know, that there are um, uh, risks in your investment. The worst thing you can do is, say some, is to say somebody, 
uh, hey, this is foolproof. It's definitely going to work, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I get pitched on projects all the time. I had someone pitch me on a project literally two days ago, and that's what they said. This is a can't-miss opportunity, no chance of failure, blah, blah, blah. And as soon as, as soon as someone says it to me, like I'm tuning out. So that's what, and that's what most investors do. So you need to say like, look, here's what the risks are. Here's how I think we're handling the risks. And here's, here's, you know, the chances of that risk happening. This is going to build confidence and trust in you. And one of the other nice things is, is the unintentional bonus is this on this is that they start selling you on your own idea. So back when I pitched the uh, $50 million, $50 million guys on green real estate investing. Um, I said, well, one of the risks is that the market could drop about you know, 45% in coastal San Diego. And if so, our, you know, our, our business would be dead. And they were like, well, if it dropped that long, then we would just change it to a rental play and we wouldn't sell. And, you know, they basically talked me out of what my risk was. So um, uh, it was great. And so if you do the turn correctly, your, your close rate with investors will definitely skyrocket and you'll be, you'll do great at it. So that's the turn. The final piece of the puzzle is the close. And this is where you discuss the next steps. You want to make sure the investor is inspired and is intrigued and you answer any final questions that they may have. And then the final thing is you want to leave with agreement on something. Okay. So you, a couple of tips for, for the close. You want to be seen as a peer. Okay. You want to be respectful to them, but you do not want to be a pushover. You also never want to assume anything. Make sure you know your topic. And then also make sure if you don't know something that you say, Hey man, I don't know that, but I will find out. And you want to explain what the next actions, what the next things that are going to happen. So are you going to review the plan, meet next week? Why are the funds there? One bad way to close would be to say, well, thanks for meeting. If you're interested in investing, please give me a call. That's an absolutely shitty thing to do. Uh, shitty way to close. Please never do that. A better way to do it would be to say, you know, Mary, it was, it was great meeting you, spending time with you and explaining our business. Um, I'd like to send you the investor documents, meet with you again next Thursday to review them, to see if you have any final questions. And then we can talk about if it makes sense for you to join our investment team. When I'm, when I'm saying something like that, I'm giving her a timeline. I'm giving her something that I'm going to do. Like I'm going to send her investment documents. And I'm also setting up the expectation of me uh, wanting her to join that investment team. It's a very, very strong, strong, strong close. And that's exactly what you should be going for uh, when you're talking to, uh, when you're talking to somebody. Okay. So with that said, we are going to get into a little bit now, we're going to get a little bit into marketing and marketing the business. And how do you do marketing? Um, marketing is one of those things that I see people do that is uh, probably, I would say this is the most misunderstood area of any business, large or small. And for every company that really gets it right, a thousand companies get it wrong. And more and more time and money is wasted in marketing than anywhere else in my experience. So uh, the good news is that marketing done effectively can really grow your business exponentially. Uh, marketing also doesn't have to take a ton of time or be expensive. I can tell you when we started uh, the green real estate company, I didn't have any money and I didn't have any time. And we just kind of bootstrapped it, figured out ways to make it work. And really marketing at the end of the day is really, really simple if you understand the goal, the goals. 
And there, there are only two goals of marketing for those of you who are listening, um, if you're thinking about starting a business. The first one is, is to sell stuff, right? So whatever your product and service is, marketing is there to help you sell stuff. The second goal of marketing is to help you build your brand. So how do you help? How does marketing help you build your brand? And at the end of the day, by building your brand, it's going to revert back to the first goal, right? So it's going to help you sell more stuff. So those are the only two goals of marketing. You know, we're either here to sell something or we're here to build your brand. Um, a couple of marketing truisms uh, uh, to keep in mind. I'll give you eight marketing truisms to keep in mind. And, and the first and foremost one is that your competition doesn't come from other companies. It comes from the barrage of information that your customers face every single day. So if somebody's trying to sell me on, let's say, a new pair of football gloves, a new uh, type of, you know, the, the perfect surfboard, what they're going to have to get through the 150 plus emails I get a day, the 75 texts, texts, what is it, text, T-E-X-T-S, texts I get a day, the 25 phone calls I get a day, and, you know, the 10,000 images that are, are thrown at me from my computer to the iPad to the billboards on the street, whatever. They have to get through that entire din of information to me. So it's, it, they don't compete against, you, know, you don't compete against your competitors, you compete against information. Second thing is, is that brand, at the end of the day, is what your customers say about you and not the other way around. It is the result of the perception of you. Um, so what is the perception of you? That is your brand. Third thing, the goal of branding is to amaze customers so that they buy from you. The fourth thing, people don't trust advertisements anymore. So this is this is uh, just a, a true fact. So like, if you really think about advertising, like, look, I could have my mom put an ad in the New York Times to be uh, a computer technician. That she's a fantastic computer technician. She could take out a full page ad. My mom can barely turn on the internet. Um, and it's a miracle she can get the Facebook of it. So, you know, it, it's, you know, you advertising and advertisers just aren't trusted anymore. The fourth, uh, excuse me, the fifth thing is just to really shoot for onlyness. So, and I'm doing air quotes here. Onlyness means like we are the only company in the marketplace that does this. Um, the sixth thing is along those lines is to be able to complete the phrase, our company is the only company, is the only firm, is the only company, is the only group, whatever it is, that blank. So filling in that blank. So Cirque du Soleil is the only uh, adult entertainment that um, combines circus, dance, drinking wine, and high-end dinners, something like that. Seventh thing, without strong execution, a strategy, a marketing strategy is really only an intention. So it doesn't go anywhere. So you, you can have a great strategy, but if you don't execute it, then you're sort of shit out of luck. Um, and the last thing I'll say about marketing and that piece of marketing truism is that you need to focus your marketing towards a really specific tribe. So who is your specific customer? Very much like your investor, when you're thinking about your investors, um, you need to think about who are the marketing people Excuse me, who are, who are the customers that I want to pitch and the ones I want to go after? Those are the eight marketing truisms. 
your value proposition. We'll talk about your value proposition. So it's probably different. You've probably heard that phrase before, but your value proposition is really what you're offering. It's simply the end result of using your product or your service. And it should be 10 words or less. And it should also be really specific to the tribe or the group, the customers that you're trying to reach. So as an example, strong value proposition. I'm going to give you a third. Disneyland, the happiest place on earth. Value proposition is you're going to go there, you're going to be happy. Evernote, the online note-taking software. And this one might be my favorite one. Spotify, soundtrack your life. Like how great is that? It's such a strong value proposition. All three of those. Remember Evernote, remember everything. Spotify, soundtrack your life. Disneyland, the happiest place on earth. Um, so have a really strong value proposition, okay? Now let's talk about naming your company. So what do you name your company? You've got a great idea, you've done the vision, you've gotten everything else. What are you going to name the company? I'll give you some ideas. The first thing is I would keep it to three to four syllables at most. Okay. It's also got to be easy to spell and really easy to pronounce. So one of the worst things you can do is spell something um, that uh, is phonetically correct, but is not grammatically correct. And one, a perfect example would be like Quickmart, where it's K-W-I-K. That's just, that's just sloppy, sloppy, sloppy work and don't do that. Um, just make sure it's easy to spell, easy to pronounce. So um, one of the best books you can read about this, uh, a favorite of mine, it's by Alexandra Watkins and it's called Hello, My Name is Awesome. And actually I read that book and actually helped me name my last company. It's just fantastic, super quick read. It'll take you probably two hours max to read that book. I read it in like two days, in, in a day, day and a half or whatever. So it's, it's fantastic. It's called, again, Hello, My Name is Awesome. I'll put that in the show notes as well. So once you've named your company, you need to think about your target market. Very much like your investors, start thinking about who your target market is. Who are they? What problems do they have? Why are they going to choose you? And then begin building a profile of your customer. So what's their age? Are they male? Are they female? Education, income level, household, politics, kids, no kids, married, single. Um, uh, you know, they work in a corporation. They are, are they an entrepreneur? Are they vegetarian, vegan, are they meat eater? Whatever. You know, and then that's who they are. But then start thinking about what do they do? So what do they do? What do they read? What do they watch? What groups do they belong to? What sites do they visit? What magazines do they subscribe to? Charities they support? Blah, 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 blah. And start really honing in on who your target market is and, and start hanging out in the places that they hang out online. So for example, if I'm going to sell um, sneakers, like old school hip hop sneakers, well, I'm going to go to a bunch of different sneaker sites and a bunch of different sneaker communities and Facebook groups and start hanging out there. And eventually I'm going to learn more about my customers and I'm going to be able to pitch them on, um, on our product. So, Really make sure you get your demographic profile really locked down and really know who you want to sell to. And that's another important thing. I, I found this to, to be very true is that there's a huge difference between people who will buy your product and then people who you want to sell to. And I would tell you, you know, focus as much of your time as possible on selling people, selling to people you really want to sell to. You know, you want to sell to people you like. You want to sell to people in groups that you like, you know. Really think of those people as your core marketplace. And um, uh, with that said, I want to give you six marketing success factors, okay? 
First one is to create the strategy. So always make sure you are creating the strategy, even if you have people working for you. Uh, and then make sure you delegate the tactical. So if I think that like, okay, I'm going to write 10 posts on Facebook. Well, I'm going to go ahead and write those posts. I'm going to get them, get them organized. Really make sure they're strategic and how I order them. And delegating tactical means I'm going to give them to my admin and say, put this post number one, put this post number two, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So make sure you create the strategy. You never delegate the strategy. You always delegate the, the tactical. Okay. Number two, be very ruthless in your marketing and really only work towards the goals. Again, the goals are you're either going to sell stuff or build a brand. So if you look at everything, uh, if you look at everything through that lens, then if you're invited to uh, speak at a conference uh, to people who probably aren't going to buy your stuff or, you know, aren't your target market, then you can look at it and say, okay, is this going to cost me money to do this? And is it going to make me any money? Is it good for our, is it good for our business? You know, probably not. Um, the third thing, have a really compelling profile. So make sure um, that you're always thinking about, you know, who you are as a company and what your profile is. When people search for you online, what are they seeing? What are they going to know about you? What are they going to find out about you? Okay. So make sure your, you know, your about section of your website, which we'll talk about in a little bit, make sure that's really, really compelling. Number four, keep your message really simple. Nike is a billion dollar business. Their message is three words. Just do it. Okay. Keep your message super, super simple. If it works for them, it'll work for us. Number five, be really consistent in your branding. So if you're using your headshot uh, or logos in your branding, make sure they always match, whether it's Facebook or YouTube, your business cards, your website, your Twitter feed or whatever. Make sure that they all, all match. And believe me, I have made this mistake in the past and I've had one picture on one thing and I've had a different picture on something else. And it's just, it's just like the worst thing you can do. The other thing is to, yeah, the last thing is to keep your graphics and your colors consistent across all your online platforms. So again, your logo, your graphics between your website, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, uh, Periscope, doesn't matter what it is, make sure that they're all consistent the whole way through, okay? One, one um, switching gears from marketing success factors, those six success factors, that's really hard to say. Um, and again, this will all be in the show notes for you. The second, uh, the next thing I would talk about is to is for you to use videos in your marketing. So using videos does not have to be that complicated. It does not have to be that difficult. And if you think about it, there are six billion hours of videos that are viewed per month on YouTube. On YouTube. And back when I started in two thousand six, doing video was not cheap. It was not fast. It was not super effective. But now it's super fast and it's super cheap. And you can use the video in a variety of content ways. You can you put them on your site, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever it is. And video actually helps you develop your brand faster because people really get a sense of who you are as a person when they see you on a video. Uh, whether you shoot a video on an iPhone, uh, I built an entire uh, studio in our office uh, for less than probably 150 bucks with lights. Got everything off of Amazon. Um, I'll put that information on the show notes as well so you can see exactly how we did that. But, you know, now we shoot our own videos in the office. It's super easy. We get great, really professional-looking videos. Sometimes we do them on the iPhone. Sometimes we do them on um, the GoPro. So shooting videos, you can shoot them up, you know, shoot them up on your phone. You know, we'll make sure the key is, is uh, 
you get the lighting and the audio correct. So make sure you get the lighting and the audio correct. Um, and there's a great, uh, and I'll put this in the show notes, there's a great um, uh, video on how to set up a studio for under like 100 bucks from Wistia.com, which is an online business hosting platform, Wistia.com. So really, really cool. They kind of walk you through they get a bunch of other videos. I watched a bunch of their videos and talked to those guys and they're just fantastic. And so I recommend them highly as well. When you're shooting a video, I always recommend using a script outline, which is just bullet points. So uh, make sure that you've got your bullet points that you're looking at. Um, what I do is I have the camera and then I have my laptop right above it so I can just see the bullet points and just kind of talk right through them. So shooting videos, highly recommended. Again, 16 billion, uh, 6 billion hours of videos are viewed per month on YouTube. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty high number. So you really should have some videos out there. So let's talk about the four main rules of marketing. These are the rules that I have lived and died by um, in, in any business that I've had. And I found them to be extremely, extremely important. Number one, no advertising. We talked about that before. Number two, leverage PR. Talk about that in a second. Three, speak and write. And four, dominate online. So again, number one, no advertising. We don't advertise. Again, reason is that there's zero barrier to entry. So we don't ever want to think about advertising. We want to think about branding. Um, that's the thing. So we don't do advertising. Number two, leverage PR. So a smart public relations strategy is a goldmine for you. So what happens is you're seen as an expert or person of value, and it helps you increase your brand and increase your reach. And the more you're seen as the expert, the more people will approach you for business. So don't advertise, be the expert. There's a huge difference between putting an ad in the paper or putting an ad in the magazine and speaking in front of 200 potential buyers who approach you afterwards about your services and your products. And I can tell you, I've given speeches all around the country and I've done it in front of big groups. I've done it in front of small groups. I've done it in uh, three different, you know, three different universities here in San Diego. I've done it at investment clubs, blah, 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 blah. My point is, is that I've, there's only been one speech that I've given in all that time that didn't turn into future business for me in some way. So out of, you know, probably a hundred different speeches, uh, only one of them never turned into business. So I highly recommend leveraging PR. Be seen as the expert. The more you're seen as the expert, the more people will approach you for work and for business. So don't advertise, be the expert. That goes along the line of rule number three, which is to speak and write. If you want to speak and write as much as possible and as soon as possible, spend time writing or speaking to your target market as much as you can and start doing that right away. Now you might say, well, geez, Jim, I don't really have an opinion. I don't really know what to say yet. Well, no, that's not true. You probably do have an opinion. Um, just get it down on paper and start publishing and you'll see that uh, people will respond. And again, when you speak and you write, we're not looking for perfection here. We're looking for success. So don't wait until you're perfectly ready. Start speaking and writing right now. Look, you have an opinion, you have a perspective, and chances are people are going to listen to you. Um, one of the easiest ways for you to do this too, uh, because I'm horrible at this. Look, I'll be the first person to tell you, like, I'm horrible at this. You'll see my blog and I'll have 10 posts, 10 days in a row, and then nothing for like two weeks. So um, I am being a tiny bit hypocritical here because I'm not good at this, but I'm starting to get better at this. But one of the easiest ways to do this is to create a content calendar 
for both writing and speaking. And really try to plan out your writing a month in advance. So those that's exactly what I would tell you to do, is try to plan out your writing a month in advance so that you can be successful with it. All right, so we talked about the four rules of, of, of marketing, which is no advertising, leveraging PR, speaking and writing, and then dominating online. So let's talk about uh, the last topic, which is gonna be all about dominating online. And I, what I mean by this is really dominating on your website. So at the end of the day, all traffic, all website traffic is not created equal. What we are going after is we want targeted traffic. So we want really targeted traffic hitting your website. So, you know, regular traffic, that's good. It's not bad. Targeted traffic, that's great. That's what we're looking for. Closed leads from your actual site, that's essential. So that's really where you know, the ultimate goal is to get closed leads from your site, people who turn into customers. And there's only two reasons for your site. And if there's only two reasons for marketing is to sell stuff and to build brand, then your site, the only two reasons for your site is to deliver information and to build your credibility and to build your brand. So deliver information, build your credibility and build your brand. And really that's it. So when you keep that in mind, it makes it much easier to build your site or to have a website because you're really just delivering information and building your credibility and your brand. The sections of your site that you need to have, uh, there's really six sections uh, that you need. You need an about section, you need a press sec section, you need a services section, you need a blog section, resources, and contact. Again, this will all be in the show notes. People want to see credibility and social proof, which is why I throw that press section in there. You also want to make sure that in your site itself, you keep it simple, no errors, no broken links, please make sure everything works. Um, and to really build your site, there are four key steps that you need to do. So the first one is to wireframe the navigation. So how are people gonna go through that? Um, one of the easiest ways you can do this is to use mind, uh, some type of mind mapping software or just do mind mapping in your book. The one I use is called mindmeister.com. I've been using them forever. They have a free offer or they have a free um, service and then I think another one is like five bucks a month or whatever it is. So wireframe the navigation do a mind map of how you want people to go through your site. Then you want to write the content. So write the content in all those different sections. Now I'll take a little bit of time. And then you want to, um, what I always do is I hire a designer to actually uh, design the site for me based on the wireframe and based on the content. So one of the easiest ways to hire designers to use 99design, 99designs.com, which will also be in the show notes. Um, and keep in mind, anything that I'm putting in the show notes, I don't get paid for any of this. It's not like uh, I'm getting any kind of commission or whatever. I'm just letting you know this is kind of what I use. So I'm only, I would only recommend products that I've actually used. Um, so you use 99designs. The way 99designs works is, is you put up a, it's kind of like a contest site. You put up a bid for a website. It's a certain fee. It might be like six, 700 bucks or whatever it is. And then you have designers all over the world who submit designs to you. You get to rank them, you get to comment on them, they submit new stuff, contest, go, contest goes for about seven or eight days, and at the end of the time, you get just a macked out, super awesome design, exactly, you know, largely exactly what you want. I've used 99, I've used tons of web developers in my life. I, I love 99designs you, because of the variety, because sometimes you don't know what you want, if you're anything like me, 
So 99 designs is great because you get to look at 50 different designs and you can say, I really like number 24 or, you know, I hate 38, <laughs> whatever it is. So highly recommend 99 designs. Once you actually have the design, then you need a web programmer to code it. Easiest way to get this done is to go to either Odesk, um, odesk.com or fiverr.com and find a web programmer who can code it. And that's basically, you're going to give them the design um, and then they're going to code it for you. So that, that's really in a nutshell how to do your site in total between writing your content and, uh, sorry, that was boating in the background. My dog is fast asleep at my feet. Uh, all in all, in designing your site and in writing out the content, it should take you a couple weeks to do it. And it's a crucial, crucial, crucial piece of information. So for right now, that's it. This is one of the longest podcasts that I've recorded. Uh, I've gone a little faster than I typically go, believe it or not. I haven't, had any, I haven't even had any content. Caffeine, and I'm specifically recorded this in the late afternoon when I know I'm a little bit slower. But in one of the following podcasts, what I'll do is I'm also going to cover how do you launch your business and the mindset that you need to have in, in starting a business. But again, uh, like I said before, one of the biggest things about having an epic life is being in a career, being in a job that you love, and, and making sure that that's something that you're in control of and that's something that you're running and that you're just not a cog in the wheel sitting at a desk in a corporate, uh, in a corporate hellhole, which I hope none of you are. Um, and if you are, and you've always thought you had a great idea for starting a business, I hope that this podcast is able to help you, um, maybe get you, get you thinking about how to launch it. How do you build it? Um, remember that, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world and I built a business with a couple pads of paper, you know, several double espressos and a pen. I did it by myself with no budget and I did it in about a week. So uh, uh, if I can do it, anybody can do it. So with that said, thank you very much for listening in and check out the show notes and I will talk to you soon. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you want more information, check out my website at jimsimco.com, J-I-M-S-I-M as in Mary, C-O-E.com for more updates and some free guides to help you make your life epic. With that said, I hope you have a fantastic day and I look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks.